Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning, everybody. How are you? (laughs) I don't know what happened there. I just started speaking before I was ready, I guess. Uh, If you're new, welcome. My name is Danny, and I am one of the pastors here at Kesed. We're really excited that you're here. We recognize there's lots of great churches in town. There's so many great things happening uh, in the name of God, and we are honored that you you chose to spend um, a Sunday morning with us. So thank you for being here. We are grateful, and as a matter of fact, we're in a series called Come and See What God Has Done, based all on that very premise, on this idea that that we need to spend time quietly, uh, gratefully before God, recognizing just what it is he's doing, where it is he's moving within our lives. And so uh, this series was only supposed to be three, maybe four weeks at the beginning. We, We weren't sure how long it would go, but we had such a huge response from people and so many new ideas and different things we'd never really thought to be grateful for that uh, we just continue to extend it. So it's going to last another week or two, uh, and then we're going to wrap that up. We're then going to do uh, our final series in Clark, and we're going to push everything in the focus of the new building. And the goal still, as of right now, is to move in on Easter Sunday. And so uh, that's going to be a really exciting thing. I want to thank everybody who's giving, who's uh, praying, who's serving down there. We're going to do a Pastor Tom update. Uh, Tom Lovelace is our executive pastor, and he's going to update us here soon in the next few weeks. And uh, I have some really special stuff for this Gratefulness series to close out, uh, just talking about that building and what God has done. And I, I, I don't want to give it away, so stop, stop asking. Stop asking. But it's going to be awesome. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive into this morning's message. And uh, my hope is that you are blessed, not because the, the message is good or the, the worship which it was is good, but because of our God who is good and who wants to connect with you this morning, who wants to relate a piece of himself to you this morning. And the last thing I hope you do is get distracted by me and how well I do or don't do. I hope that you today meet him personally, you, you experience him personally. Uh, and so really my job is to get out of the way and just let him unfold whatever his will is for this room uh, today. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray that over this place. Lord, we thank you for every person in this room. We ask, Lord, that there would just be a sense of your presence. We know you're always here, God, but sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we don't slow down enough. Sometimes we walk in distracted or, or, or in turmoil or in conflict. And Lord, I just ask that you would, you would meet us right in that place. That, that, God, we would not need to change to meet you. We would simply be aware that you're willing to meet us with whatever it is we're walking in with. I pray, Lord, today that you would just uh, minimize me in the eyes and ears of the people listening, and you would expand yourself, that it would become a place where people are learning and hearing and, and, and seeing things that are from you. And God, that's what I want more than anything else. Within my own life, within my own story, I just want to meet you more. I want to know more of you. I want to hear more of you. I know, Lord, people here have come from past experiences, whether it be past relational hurts or even church hurts. And I ask, Lord, that in this room, there would just be a sense that of you, that you are the church and that we are gathering to talk about you and think about you and wrestle with you. And I'm so honored and excited that we could do such a thing at this time. And so, Lord, we lift you high above it all. We praise you. We proclaim you. We talk about you. We teach about you. 
And we, in expectance, wait to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, I'm going to dive right in. Today's topic is, is um, it's very basic at first, and then it becomes, as people talked about last service, uh, very complicated. It starts to ask lots of questions that I'm going to carefully not answer, but, but probably will ask in the service. And so it ends up being somewhat complicated and kind of, kind of philosophical and kind of big, but it starts off pretty basic with this idea of value. Uh, we're talking about what it means to be valuable and how we get to be grateful to God in relationship to how he determines what is valuable. And I'll unpack that for you here in a moment. But just know that this is, this is kind of a thoughtful thinking service, and you're going to leave with more questions than I'm going to answer, and that's all on purpose. Amen? Okay. Uh, Valentine's Day. Let me just talk to you about my wife and I. Our Valentine's Day was, it ended up being epic because of me. Uh, and and hey, you can ask her. You can ask her. I had an idea this Valentine's Day. I said, listen, I, we always do this gift thing, but I feel like I've bought you every single Valentine's Day thing we can buy from chocolates to flowers to whatever else. I, I bought all this. We, we just celebrated our 20th. And what I want to do is I just want to go to a nice dinner where we mutually just enjoy that time together and, and we'll spend way more money than we ever would. And it, it'll be super fun. And she was like, wow, I don't want to. <laughs> this is actually what she said. She goes, I don't want to. Um, I would rather just stay home, and I already have some idea of, of what I want to cook. And, uh, and, and, but don't worry about a gift, which is always a lie, gentlemen, always a lie. And I said, listen, I want to buy you a gift. I just want to do it in the form of a dinner and an evening out, and we could, we could just be together. And she was like, yeah, I just, I'm not feeling it. And so I, I really encouraged her for like three days. This is what I wanted to do. And the whole time she was like, nah, I've got this other plan. So I was scrambling with a, a backup week Valentine's plan. And I was like, I'm going to get some kind of gift that I've already got before or something fresh that I never, you know, I, like, does anybody sell Valentine's chinchillas? Like, I need something totally random and new. And then the day of Valentine's, the morning of, she goes, you know, I was thinking, I would really like to do that really fancy dinner with you. And I was like, awesome. But I didn't make any plans. And it's Valentine's Day. And I bought you this chinchilla. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I, I just said, well, let's start calling around. So we called around, and uh, we called some friends who actually own a restaurant even, and said, hey, do you think we could get in on your Valentine's dinner? And they sent back four laughy, smiling faces and said, we've been reserved for two weeks. And I said, Aaron, this is your fault that our love isn't, isn't hey, there's very few opportunities where it's clear one person's fault or the other. And I was like, this is clearly not my, I'm not responsible for what happens next. And so she was like, you're right, I should have listened to you. Well, then they call back like around, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and they're like, hey, somebody canceled, we can fit you in. We had this incredible Valentine's dinner. It was wonderful. It was everything I said it was going to be, but with a little added stress at the beginning from her. So that's how my, <laughs> that's how my Valentine's Day went. And I bring that up to talk about this idea of value as humans uh, we tend to value people that bring us benefits or bring us love. As a matter of fact, uh, you'll hear a lot of folks around Valentine's Day introduce each other as this is my significant other. Or people who are, who are, are single or bothered by Valentine's Day are like, well, I don't have anybody significant to spend the day with. And this idea of significance leads to this very human perspective that people are all different values to us. And so I want to start off with a question recognizing that perspective. And that, this is the question. 
Can a human being do anything to make their life more valuable to another human being? And from that perspective, you would think the answer is pretty clear. Yes, of course, you can, you can work harder, you can add to your knowledge, you can, you can be more valuable. But really, truly, the worth of a person, can we do anything to add to the worth of a person, is worth, not, not financial worth, but, but human value or worth, something that can even be developed. And this is sort of where the sermon launches from. Let's compare that perspective with what the Bible teaches. I believe that the Bible is something that's breathed by God. It's from him for us. And we are to ask these questions and wrestle with these thoughts and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, which is what we prayed earlier, why we're reading the Bible, what it is and how it is God views this. Because if I'm to value people around me according to how I experience them, according to what they do for me, then that's, that leads to some interesting philosophical questions about how valuable people really are in and of themselves. This is what the Bible teaches about people. The first thing we need to know is the Bible teaches that all life is from God. All life is from God. Adam became a living being by the breath of God. Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So God spoke with statements everything else. He spoke light into being. He spoke earth into being. He spoke trees and plants and animals into being. And then it says that God stopped. And when it came to man, humans, God stopped and breathed a piece of himself, his breath of life, into them. And so therefore, all life comes from God, whether it's spoken through statements or uniquely with man, breathed from God directly into him. This is such a critical part of our existence according to the Bible that the Bible goes on to say that if God were to withdraw his breath from humans, they would perish. I didn't know that. I knew the first part because I'm a pastor and that's my job. Apparently, I, no one had ever taught me the second part. Job brings it up in Job 34, uh, 14 and 15. He says, did you know that if he, sh- he, God, should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So there's this really critical picture that all humanity is unique from creation and that it's breathed into by God and therefore he is responsible for all life, whether it's spoken by statements or breathed into by God. This means, especially for humans, that the value and dignity of human life is derived from God the creator and is rooted in the fact that all humans have been created in God's image. This is a very biblical-based way of viewing people, not just our creation, but viewing each other. This is speaking to what the Bible describes as a person's intrinsic value. Now, intrinsic is defined as belonging naturally or essential. This is a, a value that's belonging naturally or essential within them at all times. It cannot be removed because, of course, the breath of life is what brought it in, and only God wins once the breath of life is removed, can remove it. Therefore, an intrinsic value is a value that resides within naturally. Another word for this that I think is a, is a great way to just kind of encapsulate this is essence. It's the essence of what it means to be human. The essence of what it means to be human is this breath of life, different from all of other creation, that is breathed into us and therefore causes every one of us to have intrinsic value. 
This essence is of such critical importance that you'll notice most of the time when God speaks, he's primarily speaking in his word to someone's essence. The essence would be the most significant element, quality, or aspect of a thing or person. This is, uh, this is basically God speaking not to what we're about, what we're about doing, what we're about experiencing, what we're about developing or growing, but actually to who we are. God speaks not to what we're about, to who we are. Romans 5.8 is a great little, little sort of basis for understanding God and how he works. It says in Romans 5.8 that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still about and experiencing brokenness, Christ died for us because of the essence of who we are or who we could become or who we would become. This is how God has imparted a piece of himself, and so how God, therefore, determines we are valuable. The Bible clearly tells us that we are all God's creations with equal dignity and value. This is very important, okay? Even if we don't believe that that God who created us exists at all. The Bible does not say you're valuable because you believe in me. It doesn't say that the breath of life only got breathed into people who believe in him and that everybody else are something else. It says that all people were breathed into by God, and it doesn't determine your value based on your faith. Now, this is really important because for those of us as Christians, there's kind of this special thing that we have with God. Like, we have the Holy Spirit. We're kind of unique in creation. We're, we're friends with the one who made us, and everybody else is lost and broken. And if we're not careful, a little less valuable than we are. The Bible doesn't teach that. And since I'm only allowed to teach the Bible, that's what I taught. That makes you wrong. You are no more special. You are no more valuable because you know the one who made you, at least according to Scripture. Now, the world thinks of it a little differently. If God speaks to someone's essence, okay, the part of him that's breathed into all people, the world speaks to someone's existence. When the world speaks, that's who it's primarily talking to is someone's existence, and I'll unpack that for you. Existence, when you look it up in this context, is very clear. This is Webster's Dictionary, not Danny's. Existence, as people who think this way perceive it, is reality as presented in experience. So the only thing that exists is what you experience. That's your reality, what you experience, what you know. That is, first you exist, and then by existing, you create your essence. So existence comes before essence. You make your essence by freely choosing to be whatever you will be. There is no essence outside you to pursue or conform to. Call it God, call it meaning, call it purpose. It doesn't really matter. It's not there until you create it by your own courageous existence. Okay, this is uh, what the world is, is selling right now. This is what is known as existentialism. And it's this idea that unless I experience it, unless I own it, this is that beautiful poem that is so incredibly broken, the one that says, I am the master of my own soul. I'm going to go out and create anything that I want, any way that I want. This is a lot of people that make a lot of money standing on a stage like me with a microphone and telling people they can be whatever they're going to be. Do you know one of the greatest 
things that ever happened to me was one time I was, as a youth pastor, I had about 800 high schoolers in a room, and uh, I started talking to them about this. I saw this coming up over the the bend. I saw them starting to talk about these ideas that they can do anything they want, they can be anything they want, and I started realizing, okay, I'm doing them a disservice unless I just tell them, like, there's some people in this room, no matter how hard you work, you are never going to be an astronaut, astronaut of any kind. Because you're terrible at math and you don't care. So why would I tell you you can be an astronaut? Why would we tell our kids you can be anything you want to be when we know that there's different gifts built within our kids that lean them towards certain things and other things that really don't? Now, I realize this is like an anti-Nike commercial right now, so I'm messing with a lot of philosophy in the room. You're like, whoa, whoa. My kids are here, and you're telling my kids they can't be anything they want to be. Yeah. Yeah, so is the Bible. See, we're all pre-designed by God to accomplish things that bring us the most benefit in our life and the most glory to him. That's what a perfectly lived life works like. I get to do this thing that God built me for that if I didn't do it, anything else would not bring me satisfaction like this thing. And therefore, it brings glory to God because I find glory in myself that God created. And when we tell people that there's more value in different things on the job. That's why you see a lot of people right now, the trade schools are becoming very popular right now because a bunch of kids are graduating college and not able to get jobs and a bunch of other people are finding satisfaction in these trades that are valuable and important. And I'm just here to tell you, when people stop building roads, it's gonna be a problem. If everybody's gonna be a doctor and there's no roads to get there or no mechanics to make the ambulances work, Right? Or we're going to end up with a world full of, well, this is what's valuable and these things aren't. And suddenly we look at people as less than because of our system of value. This way of thinking uh, is seductive. It's incredibly, incredibly seductive. And, it's, and, and people love it. They use it in bumper stickers and things like this. As long as it's not hurting anybody, it's okay. That's like the baseline behind every good-hearted bank robber movie you've ever seen. Where he's like, listen, those banks are ripping people off. And all those people that put their money in there, the insurance company's going to get it to them. And frankly, I didn't hurt anybody. And suddenly we're kind of like, yeah, rob that bank. Rob that bank. You're right. It doesn't really hurt anybody. The comments like, whatever is permissible is passable. Hey, as long as it's allowed, it's okay. What does it really matter? And then the one that is probably the token of the day, token statement of the day right now, is that every person should discover the truth within themselves. And that's the only way they're going to be happy. And I hate to burst that bubble, but there's not a person in this room that has truth within themselves. Now, I realize we got some solid amens, but we've got about another 400 people who didn't say a word right there. (laughs) So all my ameners, just hold on a second. Give a little space. Give a little space. That's fine. I'm just going to help you unpack that with what God said, and then you figure out if the truth within yourself is really the truth you think you should follow. I'll give you an illustration. Uh, When you guys all walked in, you got a little box of these conversation hearts, or at least you should. Now, I told people, based on incredible candy knowledge that I have, because I'm just going to be clear with you, I'm not a savory person right? I'm not a salty person. I'm not a fried food person. I am a candy connoisseur. If I could just, there's only one food I could live on the rest of my life, it would be candy. And anybody who thinks these taste good, you could do better, okay? (laughs) These are, these are not yummy. My wife loves these, but she doesn't understand Valentine's Day and ruined ours, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't, we're fine. 20 years, they think that shook us? Are you kidding me? But here's the reality. Here's the reality. These candy hearts right here, 
The company that made these candy hearts was founded in 1866. These candy hearts, printed as they are, have been around for 153 years. Now, we're going to use this as a great illustration of what it means to look at something for its essence, as God does, or to look at something for its uh, experience, like the world does. Here's my question. I'm going to put it on the screen, and you really think about it. 153 years, people have been making these candy hearts. Do you think... It's the sugar or the statements that bring more worth and so have kept these little candies around for 153 years. Pretty sure it's the statements. I don't know anybody who's like stocking up on these so they can eat candy hearts all year long because they only come out. These are valuable because you take one that says I love you or be mine or you're special or you're perfect, and you give it to another person, and they read it, and they go, aww. <laughs> I had someone joke in the back that they think these candies are the original candies printed back in 1866, and they used to be gummies, and now they're just, this is, this is all they, it's the same shipment. They're just, they're just, and, and the truth of it is, that is helpful for understanding this idea this idea that we all think we have truth based on experience. I would, of course, argue, as you did, that it's the sugar, uh, not, that it is not the sugar, but the statements that bring the higher value. Here's what you need to realize. When we instead choose to put experience or existence, okay, existentialism, before essence, we're missing the highest value. Now, it doesn't mean one's not true. These are full of sugar. It doesn't mean the other's not true. These have statements on them. But when you value something based on the wrong thing, the thing you can taste, the thing you can feel, the thing you can measure, the thing you can sell and market and own, when you think that's what's valuable, you've missed the entire point of the conversation heart. And in many situations, when you look at people through those eyes, you miss the entire point of them as well. You measure them by where they went to school or what they did or what their physical appearance looks like. You measure them based on the sugar in their lives instead of the statement about their lives. And you know who spoke statements about all of our lives? God himself. He's the one that put the, yeah, we can all clap. That's good, fine. When we miss the highest value, this is what we're saying. We're saying that we are God. And that we make all the calls. When we're saying there's truth within us, then we're saying, what we're saying is there is no such thing as absolute truth or a baseline truth. We instead are saying that my truth and your truth can be different. And that truth is based on experience and what I know. And so therefore, if I don't believe there is a God, then there isn't a God. But if you believe there is a God, then maybe there is a God. How does that work? There is a God or there isn't a God. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in, a heart, in his heart, there is no God. That's what the fool says. The fall, fall, folly person, the person that's, that's, that's not thinking fully, that's missing the highest value. And as far as the truth goes, Jesus himself said in John 14.6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You don't get to pick based on your experience whether there's a God or not any more than you get to pick based on your experience whether there's a sky or not. If I raised you in a room with no windows and after a while you built this whole philosophy of life that said, for me, my truth is there is no sky. 
it doesn't mean there's no sky. It just means you've never experienced it before. John Piper ran this illustration out when he says, how many times can a man look up and not see the sky? There is a sky up there to be seen. You may look up 10,000 times and say you don't see it, but that has absolutely no effect on its objective existence. It is there, and one day you will see it. How many times you must look up before you see it? There is an answer. The answer, the answer, my friend, is, your, is not yours to invent or create. It will be decided for you if you don't decide for yourself. It is outside of you. It is real and objective and firm. And one day you will hear it. You don't create it. You don't define it. It comes to you. And sooner or later you will conform to it or you will bow to it. Now look again with that thinking in mind at the earlier question. Can a human being do anything to make their life more valuable? Can I do anything to make me as a person worth more, really is another way of asking the question, than you? Now, can I do more good? Can I help more people? That's not what the question's asking. It's asking, in my essence, in my worth, what can I do or is there anything I can do to make myself worth more than you? According to God and his scripture, the answer is no. We can all learn to grow our character and our influence and our wealth and our knowledge. We can help more people. We can do more good. But at the end of the day, I'll put it on the screen, we cannot grow our intrinsic value because of our essence, because our essence is from he who made us. This is love at its deepest expression. It's a recognition of this truth that when you love someone, you love the essence of someone. You love who they are, not what they're about. My wife and I have been through all kinds of Valentine's Day experiences. Some were really good, some were not so good. This last one was more fun than probably any of the previous because I didn't feel responsible for what happened. <laughs> but the reality is what I love about Aaron is not our Valentine's Day experiences. What I love about Aaron is her essence. It's what makes her Aaron. Therefore, she is, of course, valuable to me. This is how God loves people. This is why Jesus Christ could love Pilate when he condemned him. This is why he could love the soldiers who put thorns on his head and ripped off his clothes and pulled out his beard. This is why he could love people who held him down and drove nails through his hands and his feet and raised him up above a crowd that jeered, crucify the king of the Jews because he didn't see what they were doing. He didn't see what he was experiencing. He saw the essence of his father who was breathed into them. And so he died to make away for the essence of those beings to be able to be joined to the one who made them and so find peace and wholeness and shalom and togetherness and harmony. I could pick a lot more words if you want me to keep going, but the idea is when I sing the same song as the one who made the universe, then I'm singing a song way bigger than I could ever sing myself. This is what it means to love people. Christians aren't more special than people than other people. Christians are simply people who are supposed to be better at loving people that feel, think nothing like them, that hate them, that persecute them. This is what makes Christians so incredibly powerful because we can see the essence of God in other people whether they see God or not. This is what we're about. This is what we're supposed to do. The only other option is to only 
pull truth from yourself, and all of that truth is based in your experience of reality. And when you run out your logic that way, when you start to think about the world that way, when we choose to follow ourselves instead of God, we eventually view life through the lens of an existentialist, and we only call to be true whatever it is we've experienced. And if we've yet to experience it, then we leave it open to be true or not. In the end, this can tend to value people based on what we have or have not experienced from them. And so we make judgment calls about entire people groups based on what we have or have not experienced about them. We watch the news or we see a friend or, God forbid, we go through a really traumatic experience and then we deem from the truth that rises up inside of us, this group of people is bad and this group of people is good and this place is not not healthy and this place is a benefit and we deem things based on our truth and we, we claim it through experience and so it becomes reality. It is with this kind of thinking that racists rally. All over our world they rally because they believe their skin color makes them more valuable than other human beings. They and other groups vandalize, injure, and murder because they dehumanize other people because of their skin color or because of what they believe and they've experienced it in such a way that it has now become rock-solid truth taught to their children for generations. Because their truth rises up within them. Just like a lot of people that turn away from God say, well, no, it just doesn't fit inside my truth. You may have read on the news recently about the little boy, Charlie Gard, who was born in England. He was denied possible life-saving medical treatment because the government determined his life wasn't worth living because, and I quote, it lacked certain qualities deemed essential for his life to have value worth saving. And they decided that that little boy's life wasn't worth within their system of thinking, saving, and so he died in spite of all his parents' efforts. Iceland, it's famously currently eradicating Down syndrome from their society. But of course, they're not eradicating the condition, they're eradicating the unborn children with the condition. They're proudly saying, none of these people will live inside our world anymore. And yet our world will be missing so much without those people. And lastly, tragically, a few years ago, gay men and women were shot down in a nightclub because someone concluded their behavior invalidated their human value. This is what happens when truth gets to sit with you instead of the one who said all people are created in my image and I pour my essence into them different than animals, different than trees, different than this world. And they are valuable and they are equally valuable and there is nothing they can do to add value to their life. Nothing. Because I see them all as my children. I died for all of them and they are important to me and so they should be important to you. The only thing being a Christian should do is give you better eyes to see broken people. That's it. And in the midst of seeing those broken people, yeah, it gets worse. The midst of seeing those broken people, you should have better eyes to see your own stuff. You should have your own stuff first and foremost because when you carry your own luggage, you don't have time to point out how heavy everybody else's is. You just get to show up in the room and say, oh, you got some luggage. Me too. You just get to help and serve and lift up what's important about other people. All throughout Scripture, God has been trying to make this 
this proclamation over our lives. And it's been undeniable in his love for us. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued by faithfulness to you. He says, I have loved you with a love that's everlasting. This is the idea of steadfast love, which is this idea of chesed, which is the name of our church. It's this steadfast love, this love that can't wash off. I had a Jewish guy describe it to me as a motherly love. When she sees you and she grabs you and she kisses you and you're like in front of your friends, like, mom, stop it. I know you love me. And she's like, I haven't seen you all week. And she doesn't care who sees how much she loves you because you carry a piece of her in your life and you're different to her than all other creation because there's a piece of her essence in you and when God sees you he holds you and he hugs you and he speaks to your essence and he says I have loved you everlastingly and that's why I'll be faithful why does God need to be faithful because we constantly are uh, pushing him away turning him away. We're constantly get, trying to get out of his arms and out of his grasp. And he says, I am faithful and I will show up because I'm going to be the dad you didn't have. I'm going to be the mom you didn't have. And here's what just happened in the room right now. A whole bunch of people's essence just awakened. And you got that warm feeling in your heart because God just spoke to this part of your story. And he said, I've never left you. I've been with you this whole time. And your excuse of, well, I didn't have parents like other people. It's not a good excuse anymore because God's ready. You just have to awaken. You have to see that God wants to awaken your story and give you eyes to see the part of it you're supposed to play. Because guess what? You can be anything God wants you to be. Anything. God wants you to be an astronaut. You'll be an astronaut tomorrow. Right? God wants you to to serve and be a great husband. God wants you to, to love generously. God wants you to experience life beyond your your wildest dreams, all those things can be true because he is the determiner of truth and he is the one who says you are valuable just as you are. No matter how you perform, no matter what you've gone through, no matter your trauma, God says, I forgive you, I relate to you, and I will walk with you. But you've got to awaken. You've got to see that I have loved you with this everlasting love and I have never not been faithful. Isaiah 41.10 wraps up that thought and it says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. This is to, real specific for some of you. This is your verse for the week. I will help you, and I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. All of this has one grand purpose, and that is to experience this world, which will cause you through the Holy Spirit to become alive to life, to become alive to your life to the fact that God made you and loves you and is willing to walk it out. But what you have to do is awaken, like Ephesians 5.14 says. You have to awaken. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Notice it says you have to awake before Christ shines on you. Notice it doesn't say Christ's going to walk in, knock on your door, shake you out of bed, wake you up to all the possibilities. Now you have to respond to the essence of who you are, you have to realize there is a truth greater than how you believe, and you have to awaken to it. And when you do, Christ will be there to cause you to arise from this life of blindness and death. Because my friends, I love what Francis Schaeffer said many years ago, God is there. God is not in here. He's not defined and shaped by my own desires. God is out there. He's an objective, absolute reality. There is creation and creator and nothing more, 
and all creation gets all its meaning and purpose from God. He loves you deeply. And you need to know he's waiting to give you the truth you've been thirsting for. For he is the living water that quenches the thirst. That thirst the Bible talks about is a thirst of the soul. It's a thirst of your essence to be in harmony and shalom with the one who made the music. You're so focused on your instrument, your own little life. And God's like, I got this. Awaken to the bigger music and play with me and listen to me. And be with me. Watch what I do with your story. Some of you in the room, you didn't expect this today, and neither did I. It's not in my notes what I'm going to do next. But I believe there's people in this room that, that you, you've been awakened a little bit today. And, and you don't know what to do with it. And so I'm going to offer this. I think you're supposed to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. That you're supposed to respond to the awakening of your soul, of your essence. That you're supposed to move into harmony with the one who made you. So I'm going to ask everyone's heads to bow. And I'm just going to have you pray this very, very simple prayer. Say, God, it's me. I'm tired of living my life asleep. I want to be awakened to who you are and what you're about. Please forgive me for my failures. Please forgive me for the areas I have fallen short, for the areas I have pushed you off for the areas I've proclaimed my truth instead of yours. God, I want to hear from you. I want to know you. I want to listen, Lord, to the incredible sound of your music. God, will you please cleanse from me these things that keep me in my place, that keep me stuck Will you forgive me? And will you allow my life to proclaim something bigger than itself, a truth beyond me? Lord, will you just give me a sense of who I am and what you have for me? Lord, there are people in this room right now, they are being awakened to you. There are other people, Lord, in this room who've been awakened a long time, but they don't hear you as strong as they used to. They've been wounded. They've been, they've been manipulated. They've been traumatized, God, and I would ask that today would be the last day that that would be the first thing they think about when they think about you or your word or your church or their faith, but that, God, they would know you were there even in all that. Lord, there's people here who've been wounded by relationships. They've been wounded through sickness. They've been wounded through death. They've been wounded through trauma beyond anything I can understand. And yet, God, I know that your love and your presence was there with them, for you never leave. The Bible says you are faithful. And so I ask, Lord, as we sit within your music, that there would be a cleansing, there would be a peeling back of these things within our stories that keep us from fully dancing and singing in your presence. God, develop who we are. Take us where you want to take us. We belong to you. We proclaim your love over this place. Please give us eyes to see others as we recognize the incredible value they bring to your kingdom because of you who made them. We 
thank you, Lord, for every soul in this place and this song that we sing.